no, 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 get out of the car. Oh, I was dreaming. Or was I awake? We'll find out. Welcome to Off the Top Podcast. Today we got a very interesting episode into something that 32% of your life is spent on. And you're going to learn some new stuff because I learned some new stuff. Jordan, how are you? I'm doing great. I feel well rested. I am ready to handle this podcast in all of its podcastness. How about you, Julian? I'm doing good. You know, good night, good evening, good morning to all of our listeners. It's nighttime for me. It's morning time for Jordan. And the way you usually transition from, you know, night to morning is through sleep. And that's the topic of the day. And so sleep is something that Julian said initially. We spent like a good chunk, 32%-ish of our lifetime, which is an extreme amount. So imagine this. If you are 100 years old, you clocked in 32 hours of your life in sleep itself. But (laughs) if you're normal, that's about 32 years. And the understanding of sleep is still kind of elusive. Yeah, it's really surprising that sleep is shown in every species on Earth. Everything sleeps. We can't figure out the exact reason to why we sleep and for the periods of times that we sleep. And some people say it's for for the way it affects the tissue and your your body's system, helps you relax and refresh. Really, it's, you know, why sleep a thing? Why do we spend this 32% of our lives doing it? And no one's been able to find out, but they have been able to find out some other information that you know, I found extremely interesting. Exactly. And just just to revisit that, one of my favorite things was this, like these theories of sleep that I found insane. So one is obviously the theory of memory consolidation. So when you're when you're asleep, you basically sort out memories and storm into long term and short term memory. Another theory is when you sleep, this is scientifically observed, lymphatic activity is like firing like crazy and the most active at any other time in the day. So basically what that activity does is it basically clears out toxins and byproducts of you, like your thoughts throughout the whole day. And when basically there's a lack, there's a science study of when they studied lab animals, when they had a lack of sleep, the products that accumulate like beta amyloid are the building blocks of um, like neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's. So those are the two like theories that I found like really, really interesting when it comes to sleep. Sleep is essentially, as Jordan's saying, a housekeeper for your brain and for your body. It is removing these toxins and organizing and consolidating memory while you get, you know, the average human gets somewhere between six and eight hours of sleep, you know, full performance or brain performance being in that eight to nine hour range is during that time, it's just consolidating and removing toxins, kind of reworking its way through some scenarios. And for some reason, that is refreshing you. And there's, you know, some various pieces to the brain that are very active while you're sleeping. And I found that the hypothalamus is, you know, kind of the control center. It's this group of nerves 
that acts and also contains a superchiasmatic nucleus, which holds a cluster of cells to receive information um, and light exposure. And that's where you kind of get, you know, the the main principle of sleep um, is being facilitated. Interesting to think about that that hypothalamus is kind of like the manager of, all right, you know, shut it down, boys, go home. And another thing, too, that helps the hypothalamus kind of transition into that sleep is the brainstem in itself, because the these two, the hypothalamus and the brainstem, communicate together to transition between wake and sleep. And I think that's why, you know, you are inactive in sleep as far as like you can't move your body. I mean, for the, in a normal case, you're not supposed to be able to move your body while you're asleep. And so those two things definitely play a big role in that as well. And it's so interesting how intricate the brain is because those are your two f- main function operating. And then you also have the thalamus, not to be confused with the hyperthalamus, that is kind of the, the relay to your cerebral cortex. And that remains kind of quiet during non-REM sleep, um, REM meaning rapid eye movement. And, you know, it really picks up during that deep sleep REM, which we'll touch on a little bit later. And you're kind of wondering, you know, where does the sleep kind of initiate? And that's from the pineal gland, which helps with the production of melatonin. And you can see melatonin is like an over-the-counter way to put your body into sleep if you have a sleeping disorder. And so once you get into sleep, there's about three stages that you kind of encounter. One stage is basically stage one non-REM sleep. And so REM, I think we already mentioned this, but one more time, stands for rapid eye movement. And that's when that type of sleep is most linked to when you are dreaming. So this first stage one non-REM sleep basically is how you kind of like change, changing the hands of, okay, I'm awake and now I am asleep. I didn't think about it, but there's a few stages to when you go to sleep as you know, a normal human being who tries to sleep when they can. In my case, you know, I always thought it was like, I'm awake and I'm asleep. There's, you know, no in between. There's nothing in the middle. It's just on and off. But as you find out, there's that step one of non-REM. And then it goes to stage two of non-REM, which is kind of a very period of light sleep before you enter to a deep sleep. So the way I look at stage two is if you're, you know, on a train or um, you're sitting down and you're kind of like your head's kind of bobbing to sleep and you can feel it coming on, but you're just like getting these five, like three minutes, 30 seconds moments of just super light sleep is you falling into stage two um, non-REM. We're slowly going, and if you can see this trend, we're slowly going to deeper and deeper sleep. And so the third stage of non-REM sleep is basically the period of deep sleep that you need to be feel refreshed in the morning. So that's the type of thing where you're in deep sleep, you haven't hit REM sleep yet, but you are definitely, you know, in deep sleep. Then boom, REM daddy shows up, REM, rapid eye movement. And so REM daddy uh, is when your eyes are moving rapidly from side to side behind closed eyelids. And sometimes you'll see it like when people get knocked out, they'll get knocked into REM and their eyes will just like move all around all crazy like. Um, And that's what's happening. But 
at that point, that's when muscles are starting to become paralyzed and tight, which prevents you from acting out your dreams, as Jordan kind of alluded to, why you you can't, you shouldn't be able to move and some disorders you can. It's because you've hit REM and you've locked up and your brain is in its own little world dreaming and consolidating memory. Exactly. And so uh, just to mention that as far as uh, like the difference of like, you know, normally and not normal sleep, something called parasomnia is the type of REM sleep where basically it's a behavior disorder when you act out your dreams as far as screaming, punching, and kicking and things like that. And with older adults, this is very interesting. So guys, listen up seriously. With older adults who have that, it indicates that that patient could go and develop neurodegenerative diseases as well. So seriously, it's like a strong indicator. So if you do have, you know, and I'm not talking sleep talking, but I sleep talk in my sleep. So I definitely wanted to make sure like, all right, so I shouldn't, I shouldn't be worried about this. It's something that you definitely want to figure like, you know, if you have or been told you like, you know, you start going into, you know, like full fight mode, definitely get it checked out because that is a indicator of something more gnarly to come. Exactly. So now you've kind of know these four stages of sleep, right? Stage one through three of non-REM sleep, and then you fall into REM sleep. And that's where you hear the stories about if you take a nap on a hardwood floor in a chair and you're holding a spoon in your hand or the old the old story of some historians holding like metal balls in their hand, essentially, is that when you fall into stage three non-REM and your body relaxes and goes to that point of feeling refreshed and you drop the, the spoon or the metal balls onto the floor and they wake you up and you instantly feel refreshed. That's kind of that difference between, you know, stage three and REM. And then REM is when you just kind of get locked up and you're just knocked out and your friends on the couch and you can't wake them up because they're so far into their own world that it takes them a little little bit to get back into what's going on and being awake. Exactly. And so the mechanisms basically of how this all works, it kind of comes down to like timing and let me say rhythm. As far as rhythms go, the circadian rhythm is one of the most more important mechanisms when you go to sleep. So what happens is, you know, your body goes through fluctuations of basically being awake. And I'm sure that everyone's can relate, you know, around like 3 p.m., especially if you've worked a day job, you know, you have lunch and then you get the 3 p.m. blues where you're just like, damn, dude, I'm tired. I am going for like, you know, the third cup of coffee, second cup of coffee, or maybe even first cup of coffee. And so there is a motion and that's one of the points where you are kind of more tired is around that 3 p.m. range. And it, it's kind of like a cycle. So that helps you manage. OK, so I'm awake right now. And then later when I feel it's getting dark, I will be going to sleep and melaton, melatonin kicks up and then the the fireworks start happening. Boom, like a tag team partner. You have the other mechanism of sleep-wake homeostasis, and that's essentially keeping the track of your need for sleep. And it plays right in part with your rhythm. So like Jordan said, you know, at 3 p.m., you get a, you're starting to feel a little bit tired, and that cycle's going, you know, around 7 or 8 comes around. And it, you know, 
kind of reminds the body to sleep after a certain amount of time, whether that it's used to being up for 16 hours and you're getting eight hours or it's being up for 20 hours and you're only getting four hours of sleep kind of puts you into this, you know, that that time frame. And it also regulates your sleep intensity. So it regulates if you're taking a nap at the middle of the day, it's not going to put you into as deep of a sleep as it is that you usually go to bed at, you know, 9 p.m. or whatever p.m. you go to bed at. It kind of tells it, okay, you need to go into REM sleep. Nah, you need to go into stage three non-REM sleep. And that's all just through the brain and, you know, the functioning of sleep, which is really absurd to how detailed it can be. We have talked about, you know, the certain cycles of sleep and where certain things happen. And so now I want to talk about kind of like the ever so elusive and esoteric dreams for just a moment. And so uh, the average amount of time that an adult sleeps at night, just about an average is or the recommended is seven, eight hours. And two of those hours are on average the hours that you will dream in those the night or whatever time that you sleep. So. What happens when you dream is still kind of a mystery as far as like why, why we dream. Some people think like it's basically like a troubleshooting. Like, let's say that your brain makes up this random scenario and then it's like, okay, so let's throw Mike into this and see how he reacts. So now he has experience for when it actually happens in real life. Some people think it's like partitioning of memory. And, you know, some people think it's something else. So it's really esoteric. And but it is a, an important part of sleep that we have realized, too. And even if you don't know that you're dreaming or wake up, oh, no, I didn't dream. It might have just been that you forgot. And these dreams are super vivid in your your REM stage when you're deep into sleep. And some people believe, yeah, it's like for your emotions and it's to checks, you know, run through different checks and balances and simulations. and you know, your brain just having its free time, not being cognitively controlled by your awake state. You know, you want to get super deep into things. But and it's also very interesting that I, I dream in color. There are people, you may be one of them, who dream in black and white. And I never knew that. I never knew that some people only dream in color. Some people only dream in black and white. Some people cross the spectrum. I just know all the dreams I can remember have been in color. But there could be someone listening to this. And if you do, you know, reach out to us what it's like dreaming in black and white. And so just to drop some some like insight, I used to have dreams where I would go blind or like I couldn't see literally like a foot in front of my face. So it definitely broadens the spectrum as far as the experiences that people can see. And if you know why that is. All of my off the top listeners, go ahead and send us either like a message, tweet, email on our platforms so I can understand a little bit of why all of a sudden I become Stevie Wonder when I'm asleep. Send us like your favorite dream. Send us like the craziest things you guys have seen because I'd love to see what other people are dreaming about because I can't remember mine and mine are in color and yours might be in black and white. And you might notice, you know, you're dreaming multiple times a day, just as some people sleep multiple multiple times a day. 
And that's kind of when you roll into the the poly or biphasic sleep patterns. Exactly. And so this is as, as you know, like fitted to the person as it wants to be. So everybody can break down their own schedule as far as sleep. But here are some of like the more popular ones. The every man is like a long sleep time of around like three hours and approximately three 20 minute naps throughout the day as well. And that rolls into polyphasic. So that's people who are sleeping four to six times a day. And if you can get on the schedule, these are some of the most productive people around in today's society. And that's because, you know, you run into some things like the the dimaxium of polyphasic where you're only sleeping two hours per day in the form of six or a 30-minute nap every six hours. So you're only sleeping two hours, right? That's unreal. Like, I don't sleep a lot, and only two hours a day is unbelievable. But it's every six hours you're taking that 30-minute nap. And from what I read about this, if you miss one of those 30-minute naps, you're in a whole lot of trouble because you're only you're already not sleeping a lot, and then you're cutting back and you've messed up your whole circadian rhythm and sleep-wake homeostasis to where you're going to feel like you just ran into a wall or better yet, that you're standing there and a wall ran into you. And that's where you kind of get to the more normal type of sleepers, which is the monophasic who are sleeping, you know, once a day on a normal schedule. So you're going to bed, you know, every day at 9 p.m. And that's the one time you go to bed and you aren't taking naps anytime throughout there. Yeah, exactly. And I want to circle back on what you said as far as, you know, the certain polyphasic habits are for the most like kind of like more elite people in like working society. And just to kind of give that a little bit more color, people like Thomas Edison and uh, Nikolai Tesla were also on a polyphasic sleep schedule, among many others. And so it kind of paints the picture of, you know, these people operate with less sleep and it shows like a higher productivity as well than just monophasic sleep. But that also could be just a predisposition to being able to get out, you know, get away with sleeping that much. Kobe Bryant also enables or applies a polyphasic sleep. But once again, it's a thing of lifestyle. So if you can, for certain, know that you can take that 20 minute nap or 30 minute nap then you could probably, you know, explore those avenues. But if you like miss that, like Julian said, you are in a world of pain. And talking about pain when it comes to sleeping in itself, there's a whole world of disorders on top of sleeping that are a lot of unknowns and kind of like interesting side effects of what happens when somebody has a sleep disorder. And sleep disorders, there's hundreds of them. And a lot of the ones you've heard of are probably pretty basic names like people who are snoring or people who are sleepwalking or sleep talking or, um, you know, they move a lot in their sleep. There's all these different regular names. And that's, you know, we're kind of going to give you some of the actual names for some of these, starting with like sleep apnea. Exactly. And so sleep apnea basically is the obstruction of breathing when you sleep. And it's one of the most like more dangerous sleeping disorders. And the reason why is because when you have a lack of oxygen in your sleep, 
your blood pressure blood pressure climbs and then you are at risk for like heart attacks, stroke, arrhythmias and also diabetes too, which is just an absolute double whammy, which leads into perfectly the next sleep disorder, which is count choculitis. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. That's that's definitely not one. And if you guys picked up that little uh, low-key subtle drop, go ahead and check out our Office Top podcast about The Office, the American Office, that we talk a little bit more about the fun stuff that they do. But the... Basically, to jump more into sleep apnea, basically it comes from an obstruction of the hyperphalangeal airway, which is the part of the mouth where your tongue at the base base of your tongue meets your soft palate. And the things that kind of affect this is, you know, gravity, obviously, your weight, how much alcohol you drink or drank that night and your age, as well as your tongue size. And a quick and simple way to solve that is something that people call a CPAP machine. And what a CPAP machine does is basically forces air through your airways so that that lack of oxygen isn't present anymore. That's sleep apnea. Usually it's typically seen in more overweight individuals. A lot of the times, you know, like the gravity and the weight and the way they're sleeping and the suppression of their airways is what causes sleep apnea. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have sleeping disorders like periodic limb movement or also known as restless leg syndrome or known as the people who move a lot when they sleep. And that's, you know, kind of as basic as you can get, like someone who is their legs are always moving or they wake up and, you know, their limbs feel super tired. That's because, you know, they're struggling to find that REM area and they're kind of bouncing in and out of, you know, paralysis and non-paralysis. So your body's always kind of in this weird movement. And that's where you can fall into a sleep paralysis or REM atopia, as some people call it, which is, I've had it happen before. And it's, fr frankly, it's just terrifying, right? You wake up or your eyes open, you're cognizant of your surrounding and you can't move anything. I know there's a few, few people out there who've gone through this, but it's like you're looking up and you're trying to move or you're trying to scream and nothing's happening because you, though your eyes are open, your mind is still in REM. And, you know, in my scenarios, I've always had it happen in like, I'll be face down in a pillow and be cognizant and I won't be able to breathe for like 25 to 40 seconds. I mean, that's what it feels like. It could be like 10 seconds. And then out of nowhere, you get like a violent snap out of paralysis because your body realizes it and is saving itself. And for some people in sleep paralysis, they could still be partially dreaming. And some people see like demons and monsters and intruders and they can't do anything because they can't move. And that's why sleep paralysis is one of the most terrifying you know, disorders that they see sometimes. I personally have never experienced that. And I'm so thankful I haven't because it seems like one of the most gnarly experiences like that you can experience, especially when it comes to sleep. And just through like the things that you've told me, Julian, man, that stuff is not nice. And to kind of like jump into another disorder, uh, one that's really popular as well is narcolepsy or not. Nar <laughs> this is a little bit more funny one, too. <laughs> so narcolepsy basically doesn't have a known etiology, 
and kind of consists of just excessive sleepiness and REM sleep phenomena. And it's related to cataplexy, which is an even funnier uh, disorder, which is when, like, let's say I tell you guys a joke and then all of a sudden you start laughing or get excited and then lose muscle tone. So it's a, basically it's a it's a thing of like your brain reaches this exciting fa- excited phase in some sort of way for some reason. And then all your muscle tone gets lost. So like if you were playing football, had cataplexy, you scored a touchdown and you're about to celebrate and then you just like just fall to the ground. We we are trying to be insensitive. You know, some people have and it's really bad, but it's just like in those movies where you see people who fall asleep instantly is kind of what narcolepsy is. And it's falling into that deep sleep super quickly, super random. I couldn't imagine having it or just falling asleep at random times. And another, I wouldn't say it's a disorder, more attached to dreams, but a large fascinated, a fascination in lucid dreams. And lucid dreams is when you are asleep and you are dreaming and you are aware that you are dreaming and thus you take control of this dream. So an example, you could be dreaming and you could be the third host and off the top podcast, and then you're choosing the topic and you're talking and you are taking control of the situation, fully aware that it's not going on in the real world, but only going on in your brain. And there's several ways to achieve this in which we could break down in another episode because there's tons of theories on best ways to get there. But that's also something that happens the world of lucid dreaming. Through like a slight, slight experience of my for myself with lucid dreaming, it's such an interesting thing to experience when you are in control of the entire environment of your like almost like temporary existence through thoughts. You know how like super, super, superheroes have that point where they know they have the superpower but don't know how to use it yet. That's my experience with lucid dreaming. And it's so, so interesting. And to hammer home, just kind of the last two that a lot of people experience is insomnia and sleep deprivation. And the reason that I clump these two together is because there's a difference, but sometimes people don't know that there is a difference. And another thing to talk about, too, is that about 10% of the United States have chronic insomnia. So what that means is that one out of 10 people are struggling to fall asleep and have been so for more than three months. So the kind of breakdown between sleep deprivation and insomnia, let's think of it as a T-chart. Insomnia, you have adequate sleeping opportunity, but you have the reduced ability to sleep. And then sleep deprivation, flip it, is basically the reduced sleep opportunity with an adequate ability to sleep. So it's almost like flipped, where people with insomnia actually have a reduced ability to sleep, but people with sleep deprivation just have a reduced opportunity to sleep. And that's why that they are different. But a lot of people could confuse them as being something that are similar. Exactly. And as someone who has insomnia, the way it breaks down and the way Jordan listed is, I have, you know, this nine hour window to fall asleep. It takes me on average four and a half to five hours to fall asleep. And then I sleep for, you know, four hours or so. And as sleep deprivation is those people who, you know, maybe only have four hours or three hours to sleep and they fall asleep instantly and are only getting three hours, which is under the recommended amount. 
And there's different levels to insomnia where people, you know, takes them an hour, two hours. In my case, takes four or five hours. Sleep deprivation. There's people who, you know, fall asleep within minutes and are only getting three or four hours. And there's a lot of variety to it. And as Jordan said, 10% of the, you know, 10% of America or citizens are in that chronic insomnia phase. And, you know, there's a lot of different ways to figure it out. Maybe you're getting too much light before you go to bed or too much, you're in front of a screen for too long or you're drinking caffeine or you're working out or eating right before bed. There's a ton of different things that it could be that's preventing you from sleeping or, you know, not giving you restful sleep. And you just kind of got to go out of the way to find what those are and how it relates to you. Exactly. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. It was really interesting researching this stuff just because there's so many things that people don't naturally know about their sleep and how it affects them in a multitude of ways. You know, once again, it's been a pleasure. You know, if you enjoyed this episode, reach out to us on our, you know, different platforms, rate this podcast, as in tell us your criticism, tell us what you like, tell us what you dislike about it. Anything is honestly super encouraged. And thank you to the fans who have already reached out. We really appreciate it. Thank you guys. Find us on social at off the top cast. Email us the off the top cast at gmail.com. We love to hear your feedback. We love to see your ratings. We love to do this. And uh, thanks for listening.